Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Hello and welcome to Daily Drive. It's Thursday, April 7th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. We've got a lower outlook for 2022, ongoing COVID cases in China, and a slew of EV news from Tesla and other companies. Also, the emergence of publicly held auto retailers was supposed to reshape the industry. What took so long? We'll get to that a little later. First, let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. First up, Toyota, which is continuing to lead General Motors and everyone else in U.S. auto sales, is now expecting slower growth for the market this year. The world's largest automaker now projects about 15.5 million light vehicle sales in the U.S. this year. That's down from a previous estimate of 16.5, but up from just over 15 million last year. The reason for the change? Supply constraints are expected to limit the industry's ability to meet high consumer demand. Bob Carter, head of sales for Toyota Motor North America, said the automaker has good insight into its supply chain for the second and third quarters of this year, but the outlook for the fourth quarter remains murky. Over in the world's biggest auto market, China, the nation's economic capital remains in lockdown. Shanghai is at the center of China's worst outbreak of COVID-19 since the start of the pandemic more than two years ago. As a result, Tesla's factory near Shanghai remains idled. Sources telling Reuters that the plant will remain closed at least through today. It has been shuttered since the city went into a phased lockdown to curb the spread of COVID-19 on March 28th. Meanwhile, Volkswagen Group's factory in Shanghai also will remain shut down through at least today. Both plants could be in for a long period of downtime. Officials say the lockdown has been extended indefinitely. Turning now to EVs, the Biden administration held a high-powered meeting Wednesday with auto industry leaders to discuss a national network of charging stations. Among those attending, Tesla's Elon Musk, GM's Mary Barra, Ford's Jim Farley, and Stellantis' Carlos Tavares. In a statement, the administration said, quote, There was broad consensus that charging stations and vehicles need to be interoperable and provide a seamless user experience no matter what car you drive or where you charge your EV. Last year, Congress approved $7.5 billion in government funding to build out a national EV charging station network. Musk's presence was an interesting wrinkle. The Tesla techno king has often been left out of Biden administration EV conversations, presumably because the world's most valuable automaker uses non-union labor. And the Tesla party doesn't stop. Today, Tesla will hold a grand opening at its new factory in Austin, Texas. Some 15,000 people are expected to attend. Tesla may get some more competition for investors who are looking for pure EV plays. VinFast, the hard-charging Vietnamese startup, has filed confidentially for an initial public offering in the U.S. The company said it has not decided on the size of the offering, but Bloomberg reported the share sale could raise about $2 billion. 
The news comes a week after VinFast announced plans for an assembly plant in North Carolina that would cost about $2 billion. Alternatively, Renault is reportedly considering a plan to separate its EV business. An IPO of the company's battery car operations could be in the works. Bloomberg reports that the idea was outlined during a meeting with analysts last week. The possibility of an overhaul of Renault, Nissan's alliance partner, comes as the French company faces a crisis surrounding its long-standing business in Russia. In March, Renault signaled a retreat from its second-largest market by halting operations in the country and saying it would assess options for its Autovaz stake. And finally, Chevrolet is stepping up to the plate with a new ad campaign for the Bolt EV and EUV. The move comes after a recall related to battery fires shut down production of the electric vehicles for about seven months. Output of the two models restarted on Monday. The spots will start airing during opening day of the Major League Baseball season. That's on Friday in Detroit, where General Motors displays vehicles above the home run fence. Chevy says it expects media spending for the Bolt to top all other nameplates except the Silverado pickup. And that's the news you need to know. Coming up on the other side of the break, how technology, under the hood and on your phone, is driving dealership mergers and acquisitions after this. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online. eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed-price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory. Sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters. It is the best of times. It is the most uncertain of times. That paraphrase of Charles Dickens, coined by Mac McClarty, is prominent in Alan Haig's latest report on auto retail mergers and acquisitions. On one hand, many dealerships are making more money than ever. On the other, many perilous questions hang over the sustainability of those profits and the very future of retailing in the U.S., in the wake of Automotive News this week publishing the list of the top 150 dealership groups in the U.S., I asked buy-sell advisor Alan Haig to come on the show and share his perspective on how the industry has changed since the late 90s. Alan Haig, welcome to Daily Drive. 
Thank you, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be with you. As you know, we just published our list of the top 150 dealership groups, and it's just been uh, amazingly reshaped by the wave of consolidation, really up and down the rankings. Why, why is that such a strong trend right now? Well, consolidation is something that has been under discussion really since the 90s, when AutoNation and the other publicly traded companies started to rapidly acquire, acquire groups around the country. And I think there was a fear at the time that smaller dealers would have a hard time competing with these mega dealers. And in fact, I, I remember writing the original business plan for AutoNation's new car division back in 1996. And in that business plan, I described economies of scale, national brands, uh, best practices, et cetera, that the you know leading chains would slowly use those strengths to take share from smaller dealers. And then the reality is almost none of that happened. The talented entrepreneurs, particularly the general managers at many of the smaller chains and privately owned dealerships, their talents were more important to customers and to the factories than scale was for the national retailers. So as a result, we saw evidence all over the country that sometimes a person that's just owned a single store could outsell the publicly traded companies head to head and provide better customer satisfaction in some cases because they had better, better talent. Um, it feels like between the pandemic which has demonstrated that customers are willing to order vehicles sight unseen online, as well as digital retailing, which is related. Um, now, a group can offer a customer a choice that is vast. It could be tens of thousands of used cars available for a customer through a, a website owned by Lithia or, or Carvana. And soon it'll be the same for new vehicles too, where a customer can sit at home and choose from any brand they want through Lithia's or AutoNation's website and have that vehicle be delivered to their door. So those strengths that I mentioned that larger companies would have about economies of scale, national brands, best practices, we, I believe, are seeing that they, that can become a reality for the first time since I've been in the business back in 1996. And that I could see Lithia using its scale, having it wants to have a dealership within 100 miles of every customer in this country and use its driveway app to fulfill other uh, customers' demands that are a little bit further away. I could see that website being used by customers in an Amazon-like fashion to get exactly what they want delivered how they want it. And that didn't really exist three years ago before the pandemic. So long answer to a short question, Jamie, but I think the consolidation is a result that these larger groups have greater confidence that they're going to win in the future. And so they want that national scale. And I think that's also driving smaller dealers that are privately owned to say, I've got to get big too. I've got to be able to deliver any type of vehicle that my customers want in a way that they want to purchase it. Or I could become that dealer that loses share and therefore loses value in the marketplace. So it appears that digital retail is really the, the tool that allows you know, the, the big groups to, to use their scale. 
and to really uh, flex that. And it certainly was the case uh, during the lockdown portion of the pandemic. I'm also wondering if there's a role in EVs spurring consolidation, uh, maybe some smaller uh, or individual stores in particular are anxious about the upfront investments and some of the profit outlooks on that front. What, what do you hear from sellers and buyers in terms of their attitudes about EVs? I think that the EVs is a risk and it is a question that a lot of dealers have. So far, there's very little data that's out there that demonstrates over the lifetime of that EV, what's the, what's the yield going to be for the dealer versus an internal combustion engine? I mean, today, most dealers sell ICE engines. They retain those customers for three to five years, perhaps, and then the customer defects and goes to independent repair shops for most of their repairs and maintenance. There's some hope that I have and others have that that EV is not going to be a vehicle that leaves the customer, the, uh, the franchise system in three to five years. It's going to come back for repairs, particularly some of these batteries are going to go bad, just like engines go bad. And that's not going to be a repair that an independent shop can do very easily. These vehicles have to be disassembled, at least the way they're currently built, to replace a bad battery. And... And I, so that's my, my hope is that over the lifetime, we, we may have as much work with an EV as we have with an internal combustion engine, although it might not happen in the first three to five years. It might happen over a 10-year period. So it's uncertain, you know, what the impact of EVs is going to be on service departments, but it is one of those risks that some families feel or, or aware of when they're considering if they want to keep their businesses or, or sell them. Yeah, I've heard some speculation recently that along the lines of what you were saying about uh, maybe more likely to stay with the brand. I would think also more likely even people who buy instead of lease might be more inclined to maintain a relationship with their dealer because they're going to need to trade that in. You know, it's, uh, the batteries just don't last, you know, aren't, aren't likely to last as long. And so you're going to need somebody who has the right kind of battery to turn that into a viable used car or, you know, second or third generation. It, it's one of those things we're not quite sure. I mean, I, I was talking to a friend that has a Nissan store and one of his um, service managers had to get, had to give the news to somebody who just bought a Nissan Leaf. I think it was a three-year-old car for $12,000. His battery was diminished. The repair was $11,000 for that battery. Yeah. So the customer said to him, are you telling my, my car that I just spent 12 grand on is worth a thousand dollars? And so, you know, I, I'm not, I think batteries will get better over time just as everything else gets better over time. And certainly those vehicles are heavier, so they may need more tires, brakes, suspension components, and clearly there's all the other aspects that can go bad in a car, whether it's electronics or air conditioning or lighting, there are all types of repairs that dealers do that are not focused on the drivetrain. So what we just don't know, Jamie, is, you know, what is the difference going to be over the next five to 10 years? It's, it's one of the risks that people have, but you know, that you could say the smartest guys in the room, some people have hundreds and hundreds of dealerships, they're still buying. So they're aware of the risk of EVs, but they see enough strength in the auto retail model, whether it's selling new, used, 
F&I that they're okay taking the risk that the service business might be less with EVs than it is with internal combustion vehicles? We've covered a lot of history and a lot of topics, a lot of concepts uh, affecting this consolidation trend. I'm wondering before I let you go, what what might ultimately slow or stop the trend? Is it is it higher interest rates that makes uh, big deals you know less economically attractive? Is it maybe a, a deep recession, or is it just until everything is uh, just a handful of national retailers? So, the last big shock we had to our auto retail system was the Great Recession that kind of kicked off in 2005 for people in Florida, but it, it impacted the rest of the world, you know, in 2009. And from 08 through 2010, the purchase and sale of dealerships basically went to zero. Just nobody that had a store would sell it in a bad time, right? Because that's when we lost about uh, 45% of the new vehicle sales just disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, and very difficult. Finance was very difficult. The banks were not lending. They were afraid. So during during the Great Recession, the M&A goes to zero. Now, that's an extreme version. I would think in a more normal recession, M&A would drop 20, 30, 40% from normal times. I'm not talking about the explosion of M&A we had in 2021, where we saw dealership, you know, buy sales double from pre-pandemic years. But I think... um, other than a normal recession, which would last hopefully six months to two years, um, what could hurt consolidation is if the perception of dealership buyers changes about the future of auto retail. And the big risk that I see and others see is that our franchise system gets picked at by the factories and perhaps by customers, where a customer that can purchase a Tesla today directly from a website and they interact with the manufacturer and they have a good experience. Maybe tomorrow they want to buy Toyota and they have to go through a dealer and maybe they start to ask, well, why do I have to go through a dealer to buy a Toyota? Why can't I buy it directly from Toyota? And you have new entrants, whether it's Tesla or Lucid or Rivian that are showing they can manufacture and sell vehicles directly to customers. And now you have the factories themselves. And I would point to Ford as maybe the most recent example that is reorienting themselves to sell vehicles directly to consumers. And if that happens, you know, then Ford kind of is the dealer and the dealer is really a fulfillment agent. And maybe today Ford is paying dealers well to sell Mach-E Mustangs, but Maybe tomorrow they change and they say, we're going to pay you 500 instead of 4,000 to deliver that vehicle to the customer. Um, so that's the, that to me is the, the biggest risk that I see to the franchise system. I think we can get past EVs and I think the dealers are resilient and they'll figure out ways to continue to serve customers well. But if the factories themselves believe that, hey, the Tesla model is the way that we should all be going, then that means we don't want to have dealers in between us and our customers, that's the part that I, I think scares me the most. And hopefully it's a unfounded fear, but I think it's also the fear that others, some, some folks have that are saying, Hey, my business has never been worth more than it is right now. So I'm going to exit 
because I can't take the risk in my family's fortune that it goes to zero in 10 years of no one wants to buy these stores anymore because the factory has totally changed the rules and dealerships are much less profitable than they used to be. That's the, that's the kind of dark question that sometimes gets asked in the back of the room at a conference that I attend uh, from dealers, you know, would, would you want your kids going into this business? And, and that to me is the single greatest risk maybe, and hopefully it's also the smallest risk that we're facing here in the next five or 10 years. But it's a, it's a big one that hangs out there. A lot of profits and uh, a lot of uncertainty. So I'm comforted, Jamie, by, because I call dealers regularly and ask them, you know, how are you feeling about the business? What do you think? It's going well, it's not going well. And I spoke with one person recently who is a very successful dealer. He has a number of franchises in the Southeast. He said, if I've learned anything in my career, it's that the factory can't sell cars. And they're going to need their dealers to sell these vehicles for them. So I hope that he's right. And uh, he lives in that business every day. He serves on the dealer council for his factory. And, and I think he knows what's coming, what they, they can do well and they can. And I talked to another dealer friend of mine. He goes, the factory has two jobs, produce the vehicle and ship it. That's <laughs> it. And the dealers will handle everything else. Uh, so I'm hoping that these, these folks are on the correct side of history and the dark fears are unfounded. Uh, because I do think that this triangle that exists between the manufacturer, the dealer, and the customer, I think that's what's in best interest for all three of those constituencies. Because I hear friends of mine that have Teslas, and they're great for a couple of few years, but eventually something breaks. And then it's a nightmare. You, you, can't, you can't get anyone on the phone. You, you can't get a clear idea how the vehicle is going to be repaired. Um, there's no one really there taking care of that customer for service. And, and that's what dealers do such a great job doing, which is not just selling a car and forgetting about the customer, but they want that customer to come back to the service department. That's the first thing they do even before the car is sold is they're introducing the customer to the service advisor. Um, and I think now that Tesla has some competition, you know, in terms of other factories that have electric vehicles, I think that the franchises uh, like the Fords and the Toyotas and the Mercedes it's an advantage for them in selling their electric vehicles to say, hey, you know, you, you can come and get it repaired just a couple miles away from your house. You don't have to worry about shipping it to some repair facility with Tesla and then not knowing when it's going to come back. That makes people more likely to buy a vehicle from a franchise system as opposed to from Tesla, in my opinion. So I think it's going to be better for the customer, better for the factory. And I think in the end, dealers will do a great job selling EVs just as well as they do today selling internal combustion engines. So I hope that the next couple few years show that traditional OEMs can design and produce great EVs and that they trust their dealers enough to do what dealers do best, which is interacting with the customer and giving them the products they want and, and great service as well. Alan Haig, president of Haig Partners. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on, Jamie. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. You can get news on auto retail, mergers and acquisitions, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Thanks to Nathan Kadick for editing today's show. Thanks to the ANTV team and web editor Victor Galvan for their help. And thanks to you for listening and making this show part of your daily routine. Now, let's all get back to work.